Good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Wow. What? Sporadic applause? What is this? It's good. Uh, I love that song. I'm kind of a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas songs. It's just like, how many times can I sing Go Tell It on the Mountain before I want to punch myself? And, uh, <clears throat> but man, that song, Come Now Long Expected Jesus, and that video, just all of creation, the entire story of the Bible, everything pointing, everything pointing. If you have kids, even if you don't have kids, go buy the Jesus Storybook Bible. I think they even have some for sale out here. It's awesome because, 10 bucks, because every story points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. So, and we're really glad you guys are here today. My name is Jared. I'm the arts pastor here at Grace Point. Uh, if you don't know me, um, come find me. I'd love to meet you this morning. And uh, are, are you guys having a good Christmas season so far? <laughs> Santa, come on, man. What you doing? You got to bring some hope and joy. Man. It's like stressful, like I'm poor kind of time, right? Is that what's happening? Um, well, uh, man, I hope you guys are having a good Christmas season. I hope that gets better at least today. So we're going to be in Isaiah 53. If you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to bookmark it. We're going to talk for a little bit, and then we're going to come back to it. If you don't have a Bible, um, again, come find me. I'd love to hook you up with one. If you have a phone or something, you can get your Bible app out. And, uh, you know, we've kind of been surveying our church lately about, you know, are you reading the Bible? How often? What's hindering you? What's keeping you from doing that, and we're recognizing that like a lot of us are just struggling being in the Word. So one of those things that can help is just bring it, just bring it along with you, um, and, uh, and, and even on Sunday mornings and to work and all that good stuff. So hopefully you have one this morning. If not, come find me. Um, and I think just that song that we sang, Oh Holy Night, just so well represents the depth and the fullness, the feeling of that night of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the long-awaited one, coming down the night hundreds and thousands of years and generations had awaited for an answer to the brokenness an answer to oppression the answer to unattainable laws the answer to hopelessness and wondering and when it had seemed that god had built this glorious mansion with no windows or doors with no way in all of a sudden, God comes out to the hood, and he says, this is for you. This is the way that you get in, and it's Jesus. Amen? It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Our mighty God has come. And so we've been in Isaiah 9, 6, we've been talking about promises and God always keeping his promises and that promise that he would send a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And this morning, we're going to talk about how he's a mighty God. Have you ever been in a situation that you should not have ever been in? Like, like a situation that you just didn't belong. And I'm not talking about like you found out your girlfriend's a hoarder or crazy or something like that. I'm not talking about that kind of situation. I'm talking about a, a, a place in which you realize I would have never imagined that I would have been here. Can anybody think of one? Like anybody been in a brawl in Mexico or sawed in half on a stage at a magic show or anything like that? Mine was more of like, I would have like, these are for a different class of people than what, than what I've gotten to experience. And that was when I was in sixth grade. We got to go to a Dallas Mavericks Chicago Bulls game. And that was when it was Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, like the real Bulls. And I was a huge Mavericks fan, right? I was a huge Mavericks fan. I was the, the dorky sixth grade kid that wore his jersey to school every day. But the cool kids, I didn't recognize it. They wore shirts under them. I just wore it like the pros did, which I thought was real. It was just, I was just a dorky looking, big headed sixth grader. 
with my Dallas Mavericks jersey on, but uh, my parents had gotten these tickets from some friends and they said, yeah, we're going to have them at will call and just drive down to Dallas and you can pick them up. And I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know any of this, but my parents told me later, like they were terrified, like, are they going to be there once we get to Dallas? So we drive up Reunion Arena at that time and we go up to the window and we say, Sears family? And they say, yep, here's your tickets. And it was like, okay, we're in. And it didn't matter where we were going to go. We were in. We were going to be seeing Jordan and, and, and the Mavericks. And so as we walk in and we go in at that main level and you walk out and you see the usher and here's the lower level and then here's everybody else. We've always gone this way. But this time the usher is like, okay, follow me. And he starts walking down. It's like, what? <laughs> and so he takes us down three or four rows behind the basketball goal where Jordan is shooting layups right now. And I'm just like, this is incredible. And to make it even greater, down on the floor, <clears throat> just in front of us is Roger Staubach, like famous Dallas Cowboys quarterback. He's old. I don't know when he played. But like he was, he was really good, I guess, at that time. And then like three or four rows behind us, get this, we had better tickets than Emmett Smith, Deion Sanders, Michael Irvin, and Deion Sanders' diaper bag boy all together right here <laughs> behind us. And I'm telling you, his diaper bag boy was blinged out, pimped out more than the other guys. I was like, this guy's pulling down some numbers just to carry a diaper bag around. But they're sitting behind us. And I'm just like, what is going on? I've never would have imagined that I could have been in that scenario. And then my mom, who has no perception of this kind of thing, she walks out on the floor next to Michael Jordan while he's shooting layups and starts taking pictures. And I'm like... <laughs> Mom! But, I mean, that's, that's my mom. So, um, I love her. Uh, Jesus, in that same way, we would have never expected the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, in which all of the universe is centered around. Everything that's ever existed comes around Jesus. We would have never expected him to come in the way that Jesus came. He sunk down into flesh, as Martin Luther put it, and which is mind-blowing enough, is it not? Because no king has ever left his throne to a death sentence for an undeserving people. No king would ever do that. And even if you could find one for me, I promise you he wouldn't have come like our king did. This is our mighty God. This is the great I am. This is God Almighty. Colossians 1.16 or 115 says, For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things created through him and for him. First Chronicles 29, 11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all, for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. This is our God, Right? Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He did not come how you would have expected him to come. In fact, those expectations were crushed. And we know what crushed expectations are like, right? I mean, we, you, you, like anybody else in here, like you, you pay $47,000 to go see a movie and it's like there's no possible way this movie could ever meet up to the standards in which I am expecting. Like, I mean, every M. Night Shyamalan movie after Sixth Sense, amen? Terrible. <laughs> Let down. Jurassic Park 3 was my first movie in a movie theater. I had never seen the Jurassic Parks before. And I was just like, man, this is going to be amazing. It was the worst. And there's another one coming out. Keep your expectations way down here, okay? 
wait on here. Star Wars? I'm just kidding. Don't kill me, you know? <clears throat> um, I'm kind of not kidding. And so <laughs> last night, last night uh, we were at a party with the Thompsons, Jeremy and Ginny Thompson. We had a great time. And we, I, I meet some guys that I hadn't seen like 15, 16 years since high school when we were like athletic and skinny and like, you know, whatever. And it's like we're all looking around at each other like, Yep, this isn't how we thought it was going to turn out, you know? Those expectations being crushed. Or how about marriage? I mean, you talk about crushed expectations, you know? You think when you're, I mean, Jake, Jake, our, the guy who just led worship here, he's our children's and youth worship leader. He's about to get married in like a month. And it's like, it's going to be awesome, bro, for six months, but just wait, you know? <laughs> just wait for morning breath, you know? Or just morning in general. Just wait for that. But if you want to know what crushed expectations are like and you want to see it in someone's face every single day of your life, then have a child because that is crushed expectations, okay? In fact, last night, the tooth fairy forgot to come to Albany and bring her, you know, a dollar or whatever she was supposed to get when she lost her tooth. We also do a thing called Elf on the Shelf. Has anybody ever heard of Elf on the Shelf in here? Raise your hand. Really high. Don't be ashamed. You should be ashamed. Okay, anybody that hasn't heard of Elf on the Shelf, raise your hand. You're lucky, Brian. You're very lucky. You're the only one, okay? So Elf on the Shelf, no, I'm just kidding. Elf on the Shelf is, um, <clears throat> it's Santa's elf that everyone can go get their own Santa's elf or they visit them. And they um, come and they watch and make sure that you're being, not being naughty or, or nice. And then they report to Santa when they, when they get hu- uh, back to Santa at night when you're asleep and you're not supposed to see and so that's what your Elf on the Shelf is supposed to do. Our Elf on the Shelf is called Candy Bell. And Candy Bell, the first year, was doing this, and we recognized that our kids were um, just in constant fear of like making the right or wrong decision because she's watching, and I want to make sure Santa's going to bring me a lot of gifts. And so Candy Bell decided, she was convicted enough, um, to say, you know what, um, this is actually going to be about Jesus. So I'm going to talk to Santa, he's my buddy, but what I'm going to help you do is become better at following Jesus because we love Jesus. And so Candy Bell, she sits, and every morning, she's in a new place, too. If you have an elf on the shelf, she, every morning or every night, she has to find a place to go that's funny or creative, hanging from chandeliers, sitting on a lamp with a Nerf gun, like whatever, playing doctor with Barbie. And, and um, she, she is, uh, you know, it's funny like that. And then there's been a couple times that Candy Bell has forgotten to be funny and crushed expectations once again. Uh, so this morning, Candy Bell, this morning, Candy Bell was sitting on this, we had this like pillow pet rider with wheels things for the kids, and she was sitting on this, and um, the kids were like laughing, and it was hilarious, and they were having a good time, and then Albany decides like she's going to like move it and give Candy Bell like a little ride. Well, Candy Bell falls over, and here's the other rule about Elf on the Shelf, if you touch her, she loses all of her powers, Okay. So Albany is like all morning, like we're trying to get her attention and she's just like totally focused on the fact that she just messed up Christmas, okay? <laughs> so we, I, I, I go to find Albany and she's writing this note to Candy Bell and <clears throat> this is what this note says. Dear Candy Bell, I'm sorry for knocking you over. Are you still alive? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so... The good thing is, when we loaded her up and I assured her Candy Bell would be okay, we got in the car, Candy Bell wrote a letter back and said, I forgive you, Albany, because Jesus always forgives us when we make bad choices, and we love Jesus, so that's why I forgive you, and so we're, we're going to be all good okay, today, so don't worry about that. But crushed expectations, I mean, you talk about raising children. So if you haven't seen the gallery 
Um, if you haven't walked out there, our, our show out there right now is called Expectation. And we've at, we asked some artists within our church, um, uh, Anna Fort, Mylon Ash, Lizzie Williams, and Carly Edwards, to, to make these pieces. And they took nativities from all around the world. It's really cool. And they kind of storied through the Christmas story all the way up until Jesus being born. And so you need to go check that out if you haven't done that yet. And then on the other side of Heidi Carlson Rogers' Scattering Seeds piece, on the west side of the gallery, there's a piece called Crushing Expectations. And this piece is by Maddie Hudson. Maddie doesn't go to, to Grace Point, but she's a good friend of mine, her and Jacob. And uh, I asked her to bring her piece for that. Maddie's story behind this piece is amazing. And I thought it so tied in well with how we see the coming of Jesus. She made this piece because of the crushed expectations of raising a child, of having, uh, going through childbirth and raising a kid. And so this is what she says about her piece, Crushing Expectations. She said, I set myself up. I spent meticulous hours researching, planning, building, and frantically arranging and rearranging, only to find myself motionless in this defining moment. I placed all my hopes in my perfect, fragile expectations instead of in the beauty of the experience instead of trusting in the one who can take me through anything, instead of finding my hope in the sureness of who he is, I clung to an idea of perfection in what was best. In such an unknown land, who am I to think that I knew what was best? So here I am in this moment that will define me. I'm watching my fragile expectations about to be crushed under the pressure, about to topple from something that I thought I was building so strong, but now I see the truth that I was building a container that cannot stand, and it's about to fall to reality. I know this moment will define me. Will I allow the crushing to reshape me, or will I bow out and allow it to overtake me? I want to ride the ideals as they fall, like a brave warrior confidently surfing the rubble as a wall falls into a new land full of adventure. But I just stand here, frozen in this moment, what happens next will define me. And if you look closely at her piece, it's hard to see in the picture, but go out there and look at it when you leave here today. She has these placed these fragile um, ceramic flowers, which many of them did not make it through the process. These fragile ceramic flowers inside of these glass bowls. And she's put these in a very haphazard way on top of this, these shaky, uh, you know, cedar shakes. And, and, and it's, such a beautiful picture of something that's so fragile and beautiful, yet it's like crushed expectation. It's a beautiful picture of how Jesus came into our broken world. Your view of God will define you. And the sad thing is many of our views have, are so warped, whether that's through church uh, or through our parents or through just media, our view of God can be so warped. We can see God as this like huge, like shaming us, pointing his finger at us, like never satisfied with us. Or we can see this Jesus, like Jesus is a friend of mine, you know, like he's my co-pilot. And we can start having this view of God. And however that view of God is of ours, that defines us. It defines who we are. It defines how we live. Jesus is all-powerful, yet he is approachable. Jesus is our friend, yet he is to be honored and feared and respected. Jesus is mighty and he is meek, and it is possible. And don't confuse meekness with weakness. Jesus was mighty and he was meek. So 
Your fingers in Isaiah 53, right? Let's get there. Isaiah 53, verse 1. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, talking about Jesus here, and like a root out of dry ground. Dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus was no Brad Pitt. He, the cat from Thor, whatever his name is, good-looking dude, right? Not, in fact, dudes, that's the one we have to worry about now. Or like Chris Evans, Captain America. In fact, if your woman starts enjoying superhero movies all of a sudden, more and more, you start taking note, men, okay? Because they don't like the superheroes. But Jesus was no blonde-haired, white, blue-eyed dude. He just wasn't. And we can make Jesus more palatable. In fact, we do often. We can form him into how we think he ought to look and be so that we can worship him, so that we can approach him. And this isn't for everybody this morning, but maybe for some of you, if you knew that Jesus wasn't white, would you be able to worship him? If you knew Jesus was poor, ordinary, nothing really great to look at, would you be able to worship him? I love the translation in the message. The message is, if you don't know what it is, it's just a paraphrase that just kind of puts things into our everyday language. And so Eugene Peterson says it like this in the message. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Isaiah 53. Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him and thought he was scum. And so I know, this, I know that you guys are probably more righteous than I am, but sometimes I look down on people and pass them over and even think of them as scum. Jesus, forgive me. And if you struggle with that too, can you imagine that might be what Jesus looked like, lived like? Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Great theologian said like this The Christ child in the manger is himself the one who pronounces judgment and the redemption of the world. He repels the great and the powerful. He puts down the mighty from their thrones. He humbles the arrogant and his arm overpowers all the proud and strong. He raises what is lowly and makes it great and splendid in his compassion. You see, Jesus did not establish his lordship by appearance or grandeur, not by force or by might. It was established by humility and by service. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God's might was displayed in meekness. Now let's talk about meekness for a second. There's just a big blank sheet on the back of your bulletin. Sorry for for not putting notes out for you guys that really love that, but just write this down. Meekness is power under control. Meekness is, a a good definition of meekness is power under control. Again, it's not weakness. 
okay? A guy named John Wentz gave, uh, gave us, this isn't from me, he gave us some evidences of how we're not practicing meekness. So write, write these down. I think this would be good. Some ways in which we're not practicing meekness. Because Matthew 5 says, the meek will inherit the earth. So this is important to Jesus. This is the image of who our God was. Here's a few things. Evidence was we're not practicing meekness. We skip Sabbath because I feel this world needs my constant power. Yeah, let's move on. Um, we skip prayer. Because again, the world needs me. I don't have time for this unless it's an emergency. We no longer fast. We've got this. That's our mindset. Let's just go for it. We don't need to wait on God. For some of us this morning, it is important to recognize that God's given us a brain and he's given us wisdom. And sometimes we just have to make a decision. Some of you are sitting on your tush and not doing anything because you're frozen because God hasn't given you this audible voice of what to do. And for you, I say, just do something because God's called you to do something. But for many of us, what we do is we don't wait on God because we say, oh, God's given me wisdom. I can make this choice. We don't even ask God. We don't wait. We don't expect him to tell us or to show us. Here are some things that teach us meekness. Some of you may be in the middle of these things. Suffering, failure, a life of generosity, living in community and allowing feedback. And so if you're not in the midst of this, God hasn't brought you into this, or you're not purposely putting yourself in a place where you're being generous or living in a community that's allowing feedback, then you need to come off of your pedestal and lay down your pride because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He came for the lost, and he came for the lonely. He came for the sick, and he came for the needy. If you don't recognize that you're sick and needy this morning, then this word's not for you. It's just not. There's no room for two lords in your life. There is no room if you think that you are mightier than God, if you are your own sovereign, then Jesus did not come for you. You've got to step aside and step back and allow Jesus to take full control. You can't say, okay, God, you can have Sundays. You can have you know, some of these things. I do tithe. You, know, you can have this stuff. If you're, that's the worst place that you can be where you have one foot in and one foot out because you taste the glory of Jesus Christ yet you know that you're serving your flesh in the world and that conflict in your soul is a bad place to be. And no one would ever say out loud that I don't need Jesus. No one in this room, at least, would ever say that I'm mightier than God. But let's ask a couple questions. Can we just be honest for a second? Let me ask you a couple questions. When was the last time you had a tough decision to make? Maybe you're in the middle of one right now. How are you going about that? Or how did you go about that? When was the last time that you asked God, God, how can I glorify you today? How can I lift you up today? When was the last time that you made a decision that was opposite of climbing the ladder? Are you your own sovereign? Do you need a savior? Is there room for Jesus in your life? The lesson that God has taught me over and over and over again and over and over and over, and you guys get it, right? The lesson that he has slapped me in the face with 
often is apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15. And he's told me, he's interpreted that for me. He said, I mean, Jared, you can do some things. In fact, you can even do those things and hang my name on it. And those things can be successful in the world's eyes. But I wanted to do something incredible and you weren't ready for it. I wanted to do mighty things that only my name could get the fame for and your soil wasn't tilled up and ready for it. Over and over and over again, God has taught me that. Because what I struggle with, if we're honest here, what I struggle with when it comes to a tough decision is the first question I often ask is, can I do it? Am I gifted enough? Am I qualified enough? And I look to myself. Yet often we see that Jesus called and used the most unlikely people in the most unlikely circumstances and situations to advance his kingdom. So if I'm qualified, if I see myself as qualified, that probably means most of the time I'm disqualified, just to be honest. We had a guy here in the first service, and I just came up to him, and, and uh, Kevin Agee told me about him, and I'd, I'd seen him. He was sitting right here, and I knew that there was something different about this dude, and so we just got to talking, and he was like, man, I, I want to give the Lord everything that I've got, but I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm from California. I've got a record and, and bad, bad stuff, man. But I feel like God stripped me down. I, I used, to, used to hate African Americans, and um, I used to you know, run drugs and all this stuff, but, but I feel like God's stripping me down, and I don't even know who I am anymore. And I don't feel qualified and I just looked at him and I was like, brother, Jesus qualifies you. It's, it's, he qualifies you. Do you know what Paul did before he became Paul? Do you know David, the man after God's own heart, what he actually did in his life? Murder and adultery. Do you know the uneducated men that Jesus called to follow him? Do you know about those guys? Because, bro, if Jesus is calling you, then you're qualified. No matter what you've done, Jesus is calling you. So God uses unlikely people and unlikely circumstances to advance his kingdom. So let's just look at the Christmas story. Here's a painting I want you to look at. It's a nativity icon painting from the late Byzantine time period, 1400s. And I want to focus on some of the characters of this piece, okay? Joseph, a broke carpenter from a ghetto little town. God somehow chooses Joseph to say, you're going to be the earthly father of my son. And look at him. Back to Mary, questioning the whole thing, doubting it all. You know, Joseph, when he first found out about this, he was ready to go divorce Mary until the angel told him, it's all good, brother. But you know that he's struggling with this. But you see the halo around Joseph's head. Because Joseph's so important in this story, and maybe what the artist is telling us is that there's value in Joseph's doubt. That sometimes when we doubt, we become real with God and, we, and real with ourselves. Let's look at Mary. Likely a, a 15-year-old, at best a maid, most likely just a slave. 15. Exhausted, cold, potentially feeling unworthy of such glory. These two 
were roaming around in this little ghetto town of Bethlehem. And in a high honor, high respect society, could not find a bed to lay down in was rejected by every place that they went to, said, you're not worthy of what we have. There's no room. We're not going to make room for you. The only thing that you're worthy of is laying your head down where the animals lay. That's what you're worthy of. That's who God chooses to carry out the story of Jesus coming. The shepherds mentioned only in the gospel of Luke, no other gospel, Luke, his gospel, has a bent towards the oppressed and the poor and the needy. The shepherds, they were nomads, often thieves, despised and rejected. Social outcasts. There's a shepherd in the red playing his flute. There's another shepherd looking up and being blessed by the angel. Remember, earlier this night, the angels had ripped open the sky over the shepherds, and anybody would have been freaked out, but especially some thieves, right? Like, God, what have I done? What did you see me do? Kicking out a cigarette, you know, kind of thing, like throwing it in the back. And God and the angels come, and they say, it's joy. Listen, this is for all people. And when the angels said all, don't you think the shepherds said, even me? Even me? How are we worthy as shepherds, nomads, to be the first evangelists in history, to be the heralds of Jesus' coming. How can we be called to this? Jesus later said, I have come to bring good news to the poor. And then let's look at Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, born in a barn. Even older stories talk about him possibly being born in a cave. Either way, born into darkness and born into danger, you see him surrounded by the black. And then what is Jesus laying in? What's it look like? It's like a casket, a tomb. Jesus born so that he would die. This picture underlying the danger and the anticipation of Jesus' death. Here's another painting by an artist named Andrew Gadd. It's called Bus Shelter Nativity, and it's been used in a lot of Christmas um, you know, marketing He substitutes the traditional stable for a bus shelter. And Gad notes how the stable is like a bus shelter in that it's a place that people go but never want to be. I thought that was pretty brilliant. Jesus, our mighty Savior, our Messiah, Jesus is brought forth in the midst of poverty. Remember the angel showed up and said, good news for all people. And it must have seemed so ironic for grown men to bow before a baby, but never was an act more appropriate than this. Because Emmanuel has come. And no longer do we have a God, a a king who is separate and far off. But like Hebrews 4.15 says, we serve. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect been tempted as we are yet without sin. This is God, mighty God, coming to dwell among us. Do you see how mighty he is? Do you see and hear that he knows your suffering? And he knows your pain. And he knows your sorrows. And he knows your name. God knows you. And you can rest in this today. 
I'm going to ask my friend Leadra to come up, Leadra Franklin. Some of you don't know her, many of you do. And we've been having testimonies throughout this series of how God has shown his mighty promises. And I was, I was up in the... St- we, we, had, we had somebody else lined up and I was, uh, it fell through and I was talking amongst our staff and I was like, hey guys, do you know anybody in which God has, like everything's kind of like crumbled around them and yet God has shown himself to be mighty? And I look at Leandra and I'm just like, oh yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I wanted to share this morning uh, because her testimony, I've known Leandra uh, since 2006, we came on staff together at Grace Point. We've never lived more than a mile apart, uh, and we, we, we lo- I love her and Daniel deeply, and I've just seen God show his might, and her testimony is, is incredible and beautiful. So I want her to share with you this morning about what God's been doing in her life. Hi, my name is Leadra Franklin, and I'm the Director of Children's Pastors, uh, Director of Children's Ministries here at Grace Point. And like you said, I came in 2006 um, as the director of children's ministries, but through life changes and health changes, I stepped away for a little while, but now I'm back and I'm loving every minute of it, and I am so thankful to be in front of you today. Um, We've had a crazy ride in the past two years. In 2012, I began having headaches and Um, If any of you have had migraines, then I'm sure you can sympathize with me. Um, But my doctors tell me that my my headaches were 10 times worse than the worst headache migraines that you could have. And they were debilitating. I couldn't walk. I couldn't um, drive. And I had to just lay down in the bed for, you know, days at a time. Um, I would turn on PBS and say, hey, kids, (laughs) Don't kill each other. Mom's just got to survive today. And that's how I lived my life. And I remember going to my very first MRI, and I was laying in the machine, and fear and anxiety just came over me. And I just started asking the questions, what if? What if there really is something wrong with me? Like, what if there really is something wrong with my brain? What if my children might not have their mom and have to grow up without me. What, what if, what if? And in that moment, God stopped me. And he said, Leodra, you are going to go through a crazy ride, but I'm not going to leave you. You just have to trust me. And a crazy ride it has been. I've had eight MRIs in the last two years. I've had um, five CAT scans. I've had... Um, a brain surgery to remove part of my skull and part of my brain to fix the Chiari malformation that I had. Um, And then a year later, had two more brain surgeries to fix the aneurysm that they found. And I even had to have my gallbladder removed because I couldn't handle all the medicines that were going through my body. And I was told twice that I wouldn't make it through the procedure. I was told once that I might go blind from the procedure I was told once that I wouldn't be able to have any more children because it was too dangerous. And I was told once by my doctor that this is my new normal. And this pain that I experience is going to be the way it is. And I've got to accept that pain like Paul had to accept his thorn in his side. And I just... 
have had a hard time struggling through that. I've wandered the desert and I've asked the question, why? Why, God? Why me? I'm like Peter. I'll jump out of this boat. I'll do whatever you say, but I am falling and I am failing and I am not trusting you. Why are you causing me this? Why are you not just healing my body and fixing it like I just think this should miraculously happen? And it was in those moments that God just said to me, Leodra, remember I sent Jesus to endure the ultimate pain and suffering, to die on the cross for you. And he so mightily chose to endure the sting of death so that I wouldn't have to fear death anymore. This fear that I had of dying and my children not knowing Jesus because I wasn't there to teach them. Who am I to say that? Who am I to say that God can't show up in his sovereignty and teach them himself? And so I realized that this pain and suffering, although it is so hard and that there are still days, even yesterday, I laid in my bed with a headache, that he is mighty enough to care for me. And I've come to the conclusion that all I need is Jesus. His love is enough for me. He is enough for me. And after going through all of this, I've also decided that he is sovereign enough that he has got this thing called life. And I can have peace in knowing that he's going to take care of me. And after all, you know, he told me to trust him. I can trust him through it all. Thank you. That's insane. How can a good, great, and loving God, somebody that I've known for eight years, bring this undeservingly into her life? It's insane to say, praise you, God. It's amazing. Why can she say that? And this isn't just something that she's conjured up for you this morning. It's every day. It's coming out of her lips that God is good and he is great and he is sovereign. If he wants me to live with this suffering, then I will live with this suffering because that is God's will for me. Why can, how can she say that? Isaiah 53. Let's dive in together. Let's read the rest of this. Let's soak in the word of God. This is why. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't complain. He didn't say, God, why? Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. 
And as for his generations, who considered that he was cut off out of the field of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities and therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Why can she say praise God? Because Jesus himself was crushed for you and for me and he knows our pains. He knows. And it's our iniquity, it's our sin in which we live, a fallen and broken world. And this Advent is beautiful because we put ourselves in the place where the the Israelites were waiting, long awaiting the Messiah. Well, Jesus has come. He was born and he lived and he died and he was raised again. But here's our waiting. We await for Jesus to come back and restore all things, all brokenness, all messes, everything up into himself. And that is our hope in a mighty God who can restore all things. So I want us to reflect together on a few areas. I want us to ask God to be mighty in a few areas. So grab a pen if you want to on the back of your bulletin. Here are some things as I read them off. If there's something that just hits you and you say, yeah, God, I need you to be mighty in this. Write this down and pray this out to him. God, be mighty in these areas of my life, in my thought life, in my emotional life, in my will, my desires, my speech, my physical body. God, be mighty in these things. God, be mighty in my relationships with my spouse, my parents my children, my siblings, my friends, my work, my neighbors. God, be mighty in these relationships. Show your might in these relationships. God, be mighty in these addictions that feed my false self. Food, sex, anger, jealousy, laziness, And greed, God, be mighty in these things because I know that you know my pain and you know my suffering. And when you trust in his mightiness and you commit to a life of meekness and humility, it affects everything. It affects the whole thing. Again, when he is the Lord over some of your life, then that means he's the Lord of none of your life because he's asking for it all. He's asking for us, like him, to live in meekness and surrender and to serve and to give our life for his cause and for his Father's glory. 
Jake's going to come out and we're going to sing a song, Oh Holy Night. I know we already sung it again. Is that okay if we sing a song twice? Just making sure. Sometimes it's, that's like worship leader faux pas. But it makes rehearsals go faster. But that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I asked Jake to do it. And I want us to just, I mean, this room's beautiful because you guys can see you guys and you can see, and we can just see each other and we can look around and say, I'm broken and I'm needy too. And this night was, is huge for me. And so let's think about some of these words before we sing them. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. That word pining means to await with longing, but not just to await, to, in a state of anguish and shame and regret, to await for God to come. Since the day all was destroyed and lost and severed, we've been waiting for someone to rescue and restore. Some of you today, Jesus is ready to do that in your life. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Does your soul feel the worth of what Jesus did? Because whatever you worship is what you deem worthy. Whatever you put worth into. Wherever your affections and your desires and your direction and your dreams and your will. Those things are what you see as worthy. So do you feel the worth of what Jesus did? And is he worthy of your worship? We're going to sing, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love. Can you hear that? You know, that incredibly impossible standard to meet. Jesus says, yep, that's me. I am the law. I came to fulfill the law. And guess what that law is? That law is love because I'm not basing it on what you can do. It's not on your actions. It's not on your righteousness. I have come to fulfill that and to be the atonement, the substitute for that law so that I can argue on your behalf to my father. The the sinless, righteous, blameless one is advocating for us and saying they're righteous because I paid their price. They're blameless. (coughs) They are holy. How insane is that? His law is love. He took care of that debt once and for all. Chains shall he break. (coughs) The shackles that you walk in with today, that many of you walk in with today, that you have not been able to shed for years. Just lay them down. Stop trying to shed them yourself. Because Jesus has paid that price. He has broken that. You are no longer captive to your sin. I'm not talking about suffering. Many of us know suffering and God brings that in our lives. So that we would trust in him and know him. I'm talking about shame and sin and guilt. I'm talking about those shackles that we choose to put on ourselves. Lay those down because chains shall he break. So let's stand together. (coughs) We're going to sing. But lastly, I want to talk about a second verse. The second verse is often the stepchild to most hymns. If you're used to the hymn leader, first and third and fourth verse only. So no one knows this, and we're not going to sing it because you wouldn't know how to sing it. But let me read this to you. The second verse of A Holy Night. The King of Kings lay thus in lowly manger. And all our trials born to be our friend. Amen. He knows our need. 
to our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king before him lowly bend. Let's pray. Jesus, we cannot possibly fathom the weight of this night. We cannot fathom what it means to be full of sin, yet to be seen as righteous. But we trust in you because that is our only hope, God. Our only hope because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Our only hope is in you. We praise you and we put our worth into what you have done today above all things, God. It's your great and mighty name that we pray and all God's broken, sinful, messed up people said, amen. Let's sing it together.